You know, for me, um, as I've been doing ministry, as I've been, being, as I've been kind of growing as a pastor, uh, I've realized over the years that one of the hardest uh, parts about being a pastor uh, is not necessarily preaching, uh, is not necessarily counseling people, uh, is actually kind of thinking of icebreaker questions. Uh, I know that sounds weird, but bear with me. When I'm with a group of people, right, uh, it's my responsibility to kind of help them introduce each other and just to get to know each other. And so I always kind of do a thing. I say, What's your, let's go around and let's say our names, our age, our job. And you know, I always want to think of one last one, like one thing that kind of sticks, right? Like, and what well, your favorite color, right? And when I say that, I see everyone just going, oh. like, I, I see that crestfallen nature and I see, I see the look of disappointment and I hate seeing that look of disappointment in their faces because they're disappointed at me right? And I, I just, I can't stand it. And so for me, over the years, what I've had to do is I've, I've really scoured uh, the World Wide Web, right? I've, I've looked through the internet. I've looked through the very last pages of Google, looking up the question, what is the best icebreaker question, right? And I mean, I've gone through every single, you know, I've gone through the dark web and back. I've, I've been to every area that I could possibly go to to find that one question that is not only fun but profound, that is not only funny but deep, right? I've been, I've been looking for that one question, and I've realized that I had, I had it all along. <laughs> you see, that one question that I've realized that really encompasses all of those things is that is simply the question, what is your favorite animal and why? Now, Bear with me. Let me tell you why it's such a good question. First is because, number one, everyone loves animals, right? I mean, I don't think I've met a person that said, I, I hate animals, right? There's not a single person that, that hate. Everyone loves animals. Now, that's the fun part. The second part, that the reason why it's a good question is because, you see, people say that um, who your favorite animal is and why, the description of your favorite animal is actually indicative of what you look for in a future spouse. Now, these people that say that are from the internet. I don't know if they're like 10 years old. I don't know like what, who they are. But what I've realized over the years is that when I've asked this question to, let's say, I mean, I would say hundreds of people, uh, it's been eerily true that it's always kind of matched up that way. Now, when I've asked this question, most of the time, the answer that is most common is usually my favorite animal is what, a dog or a cat or a lion. But there was this one answer that has always stuck with me that I thought was really interesting. You see, I asked this one guy what his favorite animal was and why, and, and he said, my favorite animal is a platypus, right? First, I've never heard that response before. But he said, my favorite animal is a platypus. And then he got all excited, right? And he said, uh, the reason why it's his favorite animal is because it is so absolutely unique. He said that it is the strangest and most unique animal in the world. He said it lives in water like a fish, but it has fur. It has, beak, it has a beak like a bird, but it can't fly. It lays eggs like a reptile, but it's warm-blooded. People were like kind of interested here. And the whole time, I couldn't, 
I couldn't concentrate. I was like sweating because I was trying to connect a platypus to his future wife. And so I was like trying to like think of the connection for it. I was like, she lays eggs and she's warm art, she's warm blood. I, I couldn't think of it. But it was interesting because at the end, uh, he said that it took 80 years for a taxonomist to classify the platypus because even though it looked like a regular mammal in a lot of ways, it defied all categories around the animal kingdom. It was really unique in that way. Now, church, this is my transition. In Jesus' sermon, what we see is that he looks at so many different things. He talks about money. He talks about people. He talks about loving others. He talks about all of these other things. But what we're going to realize, what we realize from the very depths of, of the sermon on the plane here is that his thesis statement, his main point, is that the church is different than the world. He says that if you are a follower of mine, that if you really are my disciple, that if you really call me Jesus as Lord and Savior, then people are going to look at you and they're going to see, yes, you are a person, that yes, you live in this place, and yet, yet you are uniquely different. There is something about you that is not like the rest of this world. That as the world goes in one direction, that you are going in the other direction. That as the world thinks and believes and acts in this one way, for you as my follower, you are going to go in the opposite direction. Jesus says that you may appear poor to others, but as they look closer, they'll see that you're actually rich. The world, he says that you may appear foolish to the world, but as they look closer, they'll see that you're actually wise. You are like them, and yet at the same time, you are completely different. For us as Christians, church, you see, we don't worship many gods. We worship only one God, Jesus Christ. We don't have sex with anybody. We only have sex with our spouse. We don't hoard our money, but we give generously and sacrificially. But you see, the most distinct behavior, the one act that is meant to stand out more than anything else, the one thing that differentiates us between this world and anyone else is the way that we love. You see, Christians are called to love one another in a sacrificial and intentional way that doesn't really make sense. And you see, what we're going to do today in this passage is look at probably the most challenging and least practiced type of love. And what's interesting is because this is the most challenging and because this is the least practiced type of love, it is potentially the most powerful expression that Christians show that they are different than the world. And that is loving our enemies. So for us, we're going to look at two things. First is what it means to love our enemies. And second is why we should love our enemies. Okay? You see, C.S. Lewis, he's a famous author. He wrote this uh, book called The Abolition of Man. And he says that in it, he says in it that you look, uh, when you look at all the religions in the world, they actually all share a pretty similar moral ethic. Uh, for example, most religions talk about how it's a good thing to tell the truth. Uh, very rarely, if at all, you'll ever find a religion that says that it's good to lie, right? Most religions will say to love your family. It says it's a good thing to care for your family. 
Most religions say that it's a good thing to care for the poor. But he mentions that there is one command that is distinctly Christian. That at that time, Jesus was the only one who said it. And it was to love your enemies. Verse 27, 28, it says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Jesus is saying that when you are my followers and are called to love, you're not just called to love your family. You're not just called to love your friends. You are not just called to love your community, even though that is what you are called to do. But those that you consider your enemies, those are the ones that you should pour out even more to. That those who are your enemies, you are called to love even more. Now, the question becomes, who are your enemies? In this context, remember that Jesus is speaking to Jewish people under Roman occupation. And so when he mentions enemies, immediately they would know who he's talking about. It was the Roman soldiers who were cheating them in their taxes. It was the Roman soldiers who had taken away their freedom. It was the Roman soldiers who would kill them if they rebelled. These were the enemies that was immediately within their minds. However, even though Jesus was speaking to those people at that time in that context, when we think about it ourselves in our generation, I mean, it sounds great for them, right? It sounds majestic and really high and lofty for those people back then. But I mean, it doesn't really relate to us, right? Who really are our enemies? Does anyone have any enemies here? Uh, maybe a couple, a couple of you guys, right? But most of us, I think it's really hard to say, man, yeah, this person's my enemy, right? I, we don't really use that type of language now. Uh, maybe maybe a, a word that we use more as a, as a hater, right? Do you, guys, do you guys have any haters? Right? That, that was more of a, like an early 2000s thing. Not, I guess not anymore. But um, we have kind of people who we don't really think of it that way. I mean, when we think of enemy, it's almost like a, a villain, right? It's like we think of like the Avengers movies or somebody who like is like kind of twirling their mustache, like wanting like something, like wanting our downfall in a way. It, it doesn't really connect with us. But I want you to see what Jesus says here when he describes our enemies in verse 29. He says, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. You see, this word strike that Jesus uses is literally the word slap. It's a slap. Jesus purposely doesn't use the word, he doesn't use the word maim. He doesn't use the word injure. He doesn't use the word kill. He uses the word strike to point out that the enemies in our lives are the people who are just slapping us. Church, I don't know if you've ever been slapped. Who here has been slapped before? Okay, <laughs> you guys, you guys, you know, check check your life. You guys are weird. Um, for me, fortunately, I haven't been slapped. I I don't remember ever slapping anybody. Uh, who knows? But um, I want you, even if it's a playful snap, right? It's it's insulting. What a slap what a slap does is is not meant to physically put you down or or to bring you down, is, is meant to embarrass you. A slap is meant to make you feel bad. It's meant to make you feel less than human, almost. See, these are the enemies that Jesus is talking about. And then the next thing he says, he, he goes on to say, enemies are those who take away your cloak. 
These are not people who give you something in return, but people who just take and take and take. Man, you guys know who I'm talking about, right? You guys, you guys know people like that who, who just kind of, without thinking, are just selfish and just continually take. Someone who constantly drains you without noticing. And little by little, what happens is you begin to grow some bitterness in your life. You see, someone who insults us, someone who takes from us, these are everyday people. These are everyday experiences that we have. And these are the times, these are the enemies that Jesus is talking about. You know, something interesting happened yesterday. I was prepping my sermon and I needed to get some food, right? So I uh, went out and I went to like the Dunloring Harris Teeter area uh, and I got my food and I was driving back and um, I was just driving, right? And um, I see this car like blocks away that was about to turn right into my lane. And the whole time I was driving, I was like, don't do it. Do not, do not come into my lane. Do, do not do it. And then it like pulls slowly into my lane. I'm driving like 40, right? It pulls slowly, slowly, and then I feel like it always happens to me. I, it always happens to me, right? Um, it's dry, and all of a sudden it just starts going 20. 20 miles per hour. Just caught, like for like the next however many, it just doesn't speed up. It just constantly just goes like that. And so I have to slam on my brakes. And then I'm like, oh my gosh. And then what I do, and I'm not saying this, I'm not proud of it, but I... I go to the left lane, and then I drive a little faster, and then I look. I look at them. I, I need to see their face, right? I need to see what they look like. You guys do that too, right? Yes. Say yes. Yes. I, I know you guys do. And I, I, I'm looking at them, right? And, and they're like oblivious. They don't even realize what they've done. Maybe they do. Like, they probably felt what, what I was doing, right? But they're like, there's like, mm, there's driving. And I was like, I was like boiling inside, right? And then, you know, I didn't say anything more. I just kind of drove off and, and I went home. But what was interesting was I told you I was in the middle of my sermon prep. And so I come back home and then I'm prepping and, and then I come to this verse, right? And I'm reading it through. And I, all I could do was just repent. I was like, God, I'm so sorry. Man, God, I, I, you are so much smarter and you, God, you have a sense of humor in this stuff. I, I apologize. I'm just so sorry for this, God. You know, the reason I'm, I'm mentioning this is because I think for all of us, we have these moments, right? We all, all have these experiences. We, we look at these verses, and they're so abstract a lot of times. They're so, like, out there, and we think of, like, Jewish and Roman occupation and, and, and martyring and whatever like that, but Jesus is so practical here. And he's saying, what well, when you are loving your enemies, these are people in your life today, right now, that you are experiencing every single moment. It doesn't matter what church you go to, what business you work at, or what home you live in. You are going to meet people who insult you, who take from you, who make you feel less than human. I know for many of us, we have someone in mind, right? Um, And when the world tells us to treat somebody this way, it's very clear that that culture and the world tells us, look, if someone treats you in this way, that you should treat them and retaliate in return. We think of this at restaurants, right? If someone gives us bad service, and what are we supposed to do? We give bad tip, right? If somebody is at work and, and they're being annoying, then our response is to withdraw and to do our best to avoid them. If there's someone within our friend group who is kind of 
smack talking us or, or doing something, then you know what? We're just gonna try to get a friend from that group and, and just gossip behind their back. Try to try to tell how much how bad they really are. See, this is what the world tells us is appropriate. This is what the world tells us is a good thing. That we are naturally inclined to do this. But church, Jesus says something really different. He says that instead of doing what the world does and what comes naturally to you, you are called to respond with something crazy. You respond to your enemies with love. You respond to them with love. You care for them. You pour out to them. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is smart, very, very smart, because he knows that if he let us define what this type of love is, what it means to really love our enemies, then we would say, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I'm going to love my enemies, and that means I'm going to, like, send good thoughts to them, and I'm, like, good vibes to them, and, like, that's how I'm going to love them. But I want you to know that when Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he actually gives us two specific characteristics. And I want you guys to understand this. The first one is that our love towards our enemies needs to be active. It's active. You cannot show love in a passive way. You cannot show biblical love with just your thoughts and and your mindset, right? It needs to be active and it needs to be outwards. It says in the Bible here, those who hate you do good. Those who curse you bless them with words. Those who abuse you pray for them. Those who take from you give to them. Love is not a passive attitude. It is always an active love that is demonstrated. How are you giving? How are you pouring out? How are you loving the other person? I think for many of us, the best way that we can show love to our enemies is by initiating. Because I think it's very common for us that if there's someone who annoys us, someone who we don't really like that much, we are just going to pull away, withdraw, avoid. And yet what Jesus is saying here is, no, 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 that's what the world does. That's what the world says is okay. But if you are my follower, if you are a Christian, if you believe that I am your Savior and Lord, you are going to initiate. You are going to go to those people more than your friends, more than your family, and you're going to care for them. Your love towards them is active and outward. The second characteristic of our love is generosity. In other words, loving our enemies requires that you give more of yourself than you are taking in. Jesus is clear about this. He says loving your enemies is going to be difficult. Loving your enemies is not an easy thing. Anyone can love their friends. Anyone can love their family. Anyone can love somebody who you know is going to give back to them. But you are called to a higher standard. You are called to something more. So understand that your love that you give to your enemies is going to be difficult, and yet you are called to do so. So adjust your expectations in that way. It's like um, somebody who, let's say, bought a horse, right? You buy a horse. Let's say your friend buys a horse, right? And they're like, they come to you like so upset. And you're like, what's wrong, man? Like a horse is cool. Like what's up? And they're like, it doesn't fly. Can you believe that? It doesn't fly. I'm so upset that it doesn't fly. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say, what are you doing, man? What, what are you talking about? Of course it doesn't fly. Why would you even say that? But I think for a lot of us, we kind of had this misunderstanding of what the commands say also. That loving our enemies is something that will just naturally happen for us. And the minute that it's, it becomes hard, we kind of just say, oh, God, well, why is it like this? I don't understand. I don't want to do this anymore. Well, I, if it's this hard, then it's not meant for me to do this. No, no. 
Jesus tells us that you have to adjust your expectations, that loving our enemies is not hard, uh, is not easy, but it's something we are called to do. Be generous in your heart. Give, even if they don't respond the way that you want them to respond. You are still going to love them without stipulation. Church, if there is someone that you would normally avoid or withdraw from, let today be the day that you initiate. If there is someone that just takes from you and takes and takes and just it has that selfish attitude so you constantly are just bitter towards them, let today be the day that you give even more to them. Look, I want you to know that Jesus is not trying to promote like emotional or, or mental abuse. He's not saying to let someone just steal from you or beat you up without doing anything. He's trying to be hyperbolic in this way to tell you a point, to tell us a point. And he's saying that the world will tell you to give less to your enemies than to your friends. But if you are his follower, then you are meant to give more to your enemies than to your friends. Do you see that? We are opposite than the world. And so naturally, here, the question becomes, why? Why are we called to do this? If, if it is so difficult, if we are called just to give up, or if we are called to, to do this and, and yet we want to give up, why are we called to love this way? And the answer, Jesus says, is because we are called to be witnesses to this world. You see, the world does not understand why we would act this way. The world doesn't understand why we would love in this manner. But what is so unnatural for them as they continue to see our actions, they will see something so beautiful. And what happens is that people will look at you strangely at first, but as time goes on, they will get drawn more and more towards you and therefore towards God. Verse 32 to 34 says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. See, Jesus is saying that the world has a very specific formula. If you do good to me, then I'll do good to you. If I give you a favor, then, then you give me a favor. Most relationships are based on this type of understanding. See, Ed Welsh, who was this famous counselor and author, he wrote saying that all relationships in our minds have this balanced scale. That on one side is how much you are loving that person, how much you are giving towards that person, how much you are pouring out, and on the other side is how much they are giving to you. And he says in our minds we are conscientiously or unconsciously thinking about this type of balance. And we kind of weigh all of our relationships in this way. And if there's a relationship for us that goes too skewed in one way, then that's when we cut things off. That's when we take a step back. Why am I always the one initiating conversations? Why am I always the one buying meals? Why am I the one who's always texting and calling? It's getting uneven. And when you feel that balance tip too far, that's when you stop the relationship. You see, Jesus says that's the way the world works, but my followers are different. Three times Jesus says, what benefit is it to you if you receive also? What credit is it to you if you receive love back? 
You see, that word benefit or credit is actually the Greek word charis. And charis actually translates literally to the word grace. You see, church, grace is a gift that is given freely. Jesus is saying that when you love those who love you, where's the grace in that? The world measures and practices love based on merit, but for you, if you are his followers, then you measure your love based on grace. We do not care about whether they deserve it or not, because at the end of the day, what we have to realize as Christians is that we did not deserve God's love, and yet he gave it to us. That while we were still enemies, that while we were still rebelling against him, God loved us to the point of sending his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. He gave us free grace. So all we have to do is simply believe. Because if it was based upon merit, all of us would fall short. If it was based on whether we deserved it or not, then none of us would go to heaven. And yet what God did is that he gave grace to his enemies. He gave grace to those who are ungrateful. He gave grace to those who are evil. He gave grace to us. And so Jesus is saying, as much as I have given grace to you, pour out to others. That is your calling as Christians. That is what you are meant to do, to be a witness to the world, to be the salt and the light to everyone around you. You see, church, I want you to know that when you are saved, that is a beautiful thing. Praise God for that. But I want you to know that the work is only halfway done then. That for you, that is only the beginning of all that you are called to do. That as you are called to be saved and and to, to, to know God, you are now called to move forward and to act in a way that is loving. To act in a way that is caring. You know, I watched this YouTube video recently. It just popped up. I don't know why, but I was watching this YouTube video. Kobe Bryant. And he was in the NBA Finals, and they were up 2-0. And, you know, they should be happy and all that stuff. People are celebrating, but he does his press conference and uh, interview, and he's, like, scowling. He's, like, kind of upset. And the reporter goes, why are you so upset, Kobe? Like, you're up 2-0. Isn't that a great thing? Like, you're, you're practically done. And he says, oh, job's not finished. The job's not finished. For you guys also, for us as Christians, Our job's not finished. We're just beginning. We are just starting. Jesus has called you for so much more than our lives right now. Jesus has called us so much more than just to live a nine to five, than just to retire, than just to do these types of things. You are made for more. And that is to be the salt and the light of this world. It is to love in a way that doesn't make sense to this world. It is is a way for you to just express all that God has done for you so that when people see you, when people see how you are so different, it will draw them towards him. You are meant to be a vessel. You are meant to simply be a pipeline to show all the grace that God has given you. Our job as Christians is to love with grace, right? And as you love with grace, I think one of those beautiful things is that you will grow more and more like Christ. You will become more and more like Christ. And as you do, man, God, he, he is so proud of you too. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 35 says, But love your enemies and do good. 
Lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. You see, that, that language is a little confusing when it says you will be sons of the Most High. A lot of people think, oh, does that mean it's only when I start acting this way that's when I'm saved? But it actually, that's not, that's not what it means. When you will become sons of the Most High, it means that you are becoming more and more Christ-like, that you are turning more and more like um, the way that God desires you uh, and wants you to become that you reflect more and more of God's glory. And as you reflect more and more of God's glory, the Bible says that God is pleased with you. You know, I, w- I went out to um, eat with a friend a-, a while back, and he had a three-year-old son, and we were at his house and just talking. And I remember his son just comes into the room, and um, uh, he opens up, like, one of the picture books, just on his own, the, the little boy. He just like, kind of flips through it and just starts reading it, right? And I remember looking at my friend, and my friend was, like, so proud. He was so proud, and he goes, man, Daniel, that, that, that's my son. Yeah, that's my son. He just, he just says that. And I was like, man, that's, that's interesting. Like, he, he was just so proud just of the fact that his son was doing something that he liked, that, the, that my friend also, my friend was a huge book guy, and so like, he was just so proud that his son was following after him. Church, I want you to know that this is kind of what it means, that as we do more of what Christ commands, that as we grow closer to who Jesus Christ is, as we grow more as a Christ follower, that God is looking down and he, the Bible says he's, he's pleased with that. He's saying, you, you are my son. You are growing as a son of the Most High. And so for us as, as a church, we move forward, number one, because of all the grace that God has given us, that he saved us when we were first sinners. And yet at the same time, knowing that when we follow after his commands, that when we do what he says, that we will grow more like Christ and that God is pleased, that God is proud with what we do. My church, loving our enemies is not easy and is not meant to be easy, but we are called to do so in order to be witnesses. You see, our God, he reconciled us through the death of Jesus Christ. And so for us, we are just celebrating that love. We are saying, God, you are so good. We thank you for all the love you have poured out for us by simply showing our love to our friends, our family, and especially to our enemies. Amen? Yeah, let's pray.